Welcome to Revelation Rock. Welcome to our family room. It's good to see everybody. Thank you, Trey, last week for preaching the word, exhorting us to choose faith over fear. What a cool picture. We got to look in. If you weren't here with us last week, I encourage you to go back and listen. We got to look into a little bit of when Peter walked on water, a few of the things, some of the obscure points from that story, um, and some really cool encouragement. How's everybody doing today? Everybody doing all right? I got to get my shirt sleeves. They're like a little tight this morning. I don't know what the deal is. Sometimes I need to use my arms, so I need to have them free. Ah, it is good to be here. I'm trying the second week. Just get this noise out of the way. I'm trying an iPad for the second week preaching, so if it fails and we just go off the rails, we'll be done this afternoon sometime. Sometimes it goes black and I can't get the thing to turn back on, but I got my Bible, so I got some backup. Uh, let's take a minute and pray, and then I'm going to get into the second part of what I started a couple weeks ago. So if you would, bow with me. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Lord, I just thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be here today. I thank you for the worship team, for all the effort that they put in this morning, um, not in an effort to please you, but Father, they put in time because of who they are in you. They put in effort, they put in energy because they are right with you, because they are the righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus not in an attempt to earn anything, but just like each of us came this morning, uh, not to try and be approved by you, not to gain some sort of standing in your kingdom, but Father, because we have standing in your kingdom, we've gathered. Lord, I thank you that uh, Jesus came. Thank you that Jesus stood in our place and paid a debt that we could never pay so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray a blessing over this time, um, the time of in the word here this morning, of sharing, the time following church as we fellowship a little while. Father, I pray a blessing over each heart that's here. Holy Spirit, I just, I just declare freedom that you are free to uh, minister to these hearts that are here today, um, to, to breathe on this word, that this word would not be my word, that it would be yours. Father, I just put all of the stuff that is Isaac behind the cross of Jesus, that nothing is seen today except you, Lord, and the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, welcome to the family room of the rock. And we, we use that not just figuratively, this literally is our family room, there's kids running around, and, and we also, as I shared before, we try things here sometimes. We try things that may work, and we try some things that it's like, wow, that didn't really work very well. And we're free to do that. We're free to try. I'm, I'm learning to share the gospel. I'm not an accomplished preacher or proclaimer. I'm learning, and thanks to you all, you're helping me learn uh, through positive feedback, through um, others of this body teaching. And it's such a blessing to be a part of this. I shared uh, two weeks ago when I preached, I referenced that we would not be found sleeping. Um, during this season, there's been a little bit of a change. Uh, I'm not going to rehash everything, but my Life experience over the last few months has maybe colored a little bit of my preaching, and not in a bad way, in a good way, that there's an urgency to this gospel, there's an intentionality that has to be present today, that should be present in all believers at all times, but sometimes life circumstances help us see things a little clearer, and by that I don't mean that God's ordained bad things to help put things into focus, but he will reveal things through all seasons. And I hate that I have to make that disclaimer, but there's so much of Christianity that is convinced that because a bad thing happens and a good thing may come from it, that God must have been behind the bad thing. We know that that is not true, but that God will work all things. Even the bad stuff in this world, he will work together for our good. We'll learn things. We'll see things a little clearer. And uh, as I shared a couple weeks ago, I talked about how we won't be found sleeping here. We're going to do our best to be awake. We're going to do our best to keep our wicks trimmed and our lamps full of oil, that we're about our Father's business, that we're doing the things that we're called to do. And part of that is that we're clear on what those things are. There's a lot of Christianity that thinks this is the thing that Christians do. You're doing it right now. So we're in church, box checked, thing that God wanted me to do, done. And we know that that's not true, and I think all believers know it down here that's not true, but we're not taught what is the thing to do. What are our instructions? What is our commission? We've heard the word, well, you're commissioned. You're a, you know, you're a believer. You're born again. You're supposed to go and make disciples. What does that even mean? 
In 2022, well, in 2019, we thought that was meeting for coffee. In 2020, we thought that was Zoom meetings with people. That's discipleship, is looking at another person awkwardly through a, tele- or a computer screen and saying things. Well, what are those things? What is it to be discipled? What is the foundational thing that we are to do? Last, or two weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter three and four. We saw how Peter and John were on the way. I think 95% of ministry takes place on the way, possibly 99% takes place on the way. They were on their way to the temple when they encountered a lame man led by the example of Jesus. This wasn't, they did not invent healing lame people. Peter and John weren't the first guys like, hey, maybe we can heal him. No, they'd seen it. They'd experienced it. They'd seen Jesus do this. They're like, well, we saw Jesus do it. And led by the Holy Spirit within them, they healed the man. This was not, you don't see Peter and John making this big buildup, like, let's get a bunch of people around, we're about to heal the lame man. It was just, we're on our way to the temple, we don't have all day to sit here and have a prayer meeting for this guy, what we, do, we don't have any money to give him. We're disciples and we're broke. But what we do have, we'll give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He took him by a hand, pulled him up to his feet, and carried on. He took off walking and leaping and praising God. Consequently, preached the gospel. 5,000 plus got born again. This created no small stir. They were imprisoned and questioned by the religious leaders. We're going to pick up just a little bit of review here. Acts chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. It should be up on the screen if you want to follow along in your Bible or on the screen, that's fine. It says, and when they had set them, the religious leaders had set Peter and John in the midst, in the middle of them. They surrounded them and they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we are judged... For a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, you killed him, God raised him from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. They passed all responsibility to Jesus. They didn't say, it's because of the way that we took him by the hand. It's because of the way that we, no, they said, by, the, by Jesus, by him, by the name of Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Verse 11, this stone which was rejected by you builders has become the chief cornerstone. Verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We see no evidence in any part of this exchange that Peter was inclined to back down at all. There was no reference. There's no point where Peter looks at John and he's like, should we fold? We could be in over our heads. They have a pile of stones over there. Remember what they did to Jesus? They crucified him. Are we sure about this? We don't see any of that. In this story, we see them locked loaded and completely certain about why they were doing what they were doing. There was no hesitancy like, I'm not real sure what happened. You know, we thought maybe he might be healed. We weren't real sure. We kind of acted and then it's like, then it happened so we preached a little bit. I don't really know what happened. Could you not look at us that way? There was no uncertainty. There was no him-hawing around. There was no fumbling, stumbling. It could be because of what we said. It could be because of how we picked him up. It could be because of... Uh, we walked with Jesus. It could be maybe because he gave his offerings and stuff. I don't, you know, I'm not real sure. That's not what he said at all. He declared absolute certainty. It is not us. It is by the name of Jesus. You all crucified him. God raised him from the dead by his name. We took him by the hand and raised him up. Any other questions? They were absolutely certain. And they went on to declare in verse 12, nor is there any, nor is there salvation in any other In other words, this is what we did for this guy. It's what all of you all need. Salvation is through Jesus, period, end of story. It's not through Peter, it's not through John. Though for generations following, we stumbled around with that. It was absolute certainty. There is not salvation in any other. In fact, by the end of this whole encounter, we're not gonna re-preach everything, by the end of the whole encounter, Peter and John were back with the early church safe from the you know, imminent danger of the religious leaders. And what did they pray for? 
Did they sit down and say, we gotta have a prayer meeting, this is getting dangerous. Let's pray for protection. Let's pray that nothing bad happens to us. That we don't get thrown in prison again. That was very scary. Let's pray that we don't get stoned. No, they sat down and they said, all right, that was a little intimidating, let's pray for more boldness. It's like, well, boldness is kind of what got you into that, Peter. So if you back up, as you maybe pray for a little temperance. Maybe you won't find yourself lined up against the wall by the Pharisees. No, he said, we got to pray for more boldness because 5,000 people got born again. What if we had more boldness? Maybe 10,000. Maybe the entire earth would be born again. More boldness. All right, we're going to, now we're kind of shifting. We're dovetailing off of that. My question for us today. I'm going to ask you this question before we read this passage. I wasn't sure where I was going to put that, but my question, do we know the gospel enough to not be ashamed of it? Do we know the gospel enough to not be ashamed of it? Now, what I'm talking about is not pressure, and it's not God's upset with you if your answer is I'm not sure at all. We know beyond shadow of all doubt at this church that you will never do anything to make God pleased with you and you will never do anything to make God upset with you. It's impossible. But what are we doing? Remember what I talked about in the very beginning. What's our thing to do now that we're born again? What's our next action? What is our marching orders from this point on? If you've got your Bibles open, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 1, we're going to read 17 verses out of Romans chapter 1. They will be on the screen if you don't want to follow along in your Bible. Picking up in verse 1 of Romans chapter 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Verse five, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among the nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Christ Jesus. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Verse 10, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and of me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. Verse 14, I am a debtor both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul was positively excited to preach the gospel in Rome. He wasn't intimidated or uncertain. He knew that he was equipped and that the message he carried was transformational and eternal in nature. Okay, during the time that Paul was writing this, there's a little history here. <clears throat> they didn't have drones, which, I mean, obviously they didn't probably have drones. They didn't even have satellites. There was no eye in the sky. Big Brother didn't exist in the form that we know it today. They didn't even have phones. So when a battle was taking place, which was more frequent there and then than it is here and now, when a battle was taking place, there were messengers, certain messengers, each army from each city or city-state or country, each army had commissioned messengers. They had one job. They were called couriers. That would be our English word for it. They, were they had a job, and it was exclusive. 
Their job wasn't like today we think of things like, well, it's like, well, I can maybe carry a message. I could, I could carry a message. I could go here and then I could drop some stuff off on the way. They didn't have any of that. It was singular of focus. Their job was to carry the news of how the battle was going back to the king or to the ruler. It was imperative that these messengers got it right because the next steps for that army, often the next steps for that country or city-state were dependent upon that information. This is the comparison that Paul used for, the, for his commission with the gospel. So the, the word gospel is almost, it's not hardly in print other than in the Bible. It's in Greek, early Greek writing, it's not very common. Very, very, very rare. In fact, it's, some would translate it as, not only, we know it as good news, some would more accurately translate it nearly too good to be true news. But it was used militarily. It was used as, so if our army was fighting their army and we didn't think we were going to win and we won, this courier would carry it as the gospel. It's, it's, it's nearly too good to be true, but we won. Does everybody follow this? This is these guys' job. It, wasn't a light, it was not a duty to be taken lightly. They didn't stop for anything. They, carried, they got the message of how the battle was going, and they carried it. Because imagine, there's no cell phones. There's no way to communicate. And it was a hilly enough, there, it would have been even difficult to just look from a long ways away. You had to have hands-on evidence. This is what happened. This is what's happening. I'm going to carry this to the leadership of our country, and they're going to make decisions based on that information. Some of those decisions were obviously they were, there was life and death, but there was like life and death of entire nations at stake based on the information of these couriers. It's this comparison that Paul uses. This is his picture. He says, I have been commissioned by Jesus to carry this message. This message which makes all of the messages that every courier militarily ever carried pale in comparison. I have to carry this. I have to get it right. I have to communicate this clearly and accurately. This gospel is not, it's not, well, you know, it's, it's Jesus and it's kind of, you know, it's Jesus was good and God is good and church is good and, you know, try harder, you know, don't be bad and, and maybe that'll work. How do you even interpret a message like that? And yet today, and this is my encouragement I shared two weeks ago that we won't be found sleeping. And I did some, I've done a lot of prayer, a lot of thought about this. I've had some long conversations with people. How many Christians today that profess Christianity, they say, I am a Christian. You do a, you do a poll and you say, are you a Christian? Yes or no? And they say, yes. Okay, next question. What's the gospel? Is this multiple choice? Nope. It's not even fill in the blank. It's just blank. What's the gospel? And what I just shared, how many people, and this is not condemnation, church, zero condemnation. This is the same guy that wrote in the same book, what we just read in Romans chapter 1, wrote Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. Don't pick up condemnation here this morning. If you do, you're doing what the enemy wants. But I want to encourage us that this is an opportunity. Do we know what we believe? Do we know enough to be able to articulate it? And you may sit there, and this has been generations. I've dealt with this with Christians my entire life. Well, I'm not really good at talking to people. Anybody ever heard that? Or maybe you've said that. That's like not really my thing. Like you like to talk to people. Me? You like to talk to people, so you should do that. But you know what? And I, that's a fine. That's a fine statement. You can say that. I'm not giving anybody a pass on that where it's like, okay, don't worry about the gospel then. Because all of us, the most introverted personality in here, within the sound of my voice, has someone, most of us, several someones who they have no inhibitions to speak to. You may not be called to pull up in Walmart parking lot and begin preaching on a five-gallon bucket and draw a crowd of 100 people. You might not be called to do that. I don't think I'm called to do that. But you know there are people that you are called to that you have no inhibitions. You're like, I just work like mostly in a cubicle and I don't answer the phone 
and I don't talk to my coworkers, and I don't. That's fine. All that stuff's fine. And there's zero condemnation. I'm not like, well, you should be an extrovert. No, you be who you are, but there are people in all of our lives, in all of our circles, all of our spheres of influence where we have no inhibitions. Because we can talk about football. We can talk about music. We can talk about work. How was your day, Trey? Well, it was a good day, but I lost a big sale. And it's like, well, that ain't no problem. We can drop right into that. In our agricultural community, how's it going? Well, harvest is going good. And the, well, how much do you have left? About half. Well, it's kind of a, I mean, our community, it's kind of vague. Like, well, do you farm 10,000 acres or 10 acres? It's like, well, about half, about half done. Half done with What? But we, it's like easy. We can articulate these communications. Like, how was work? How was, did you see that play in the football game? We almost lost. We, what is this? You were on the team? We talk like that. That's no problem. We identify. We articulate. Man, if they would have done this play and then that play, we'd have had them. We're comfortable articulating these ideas. And I contemplated doing this this morning, but I didn't have a chance to discuss it with anyone ahead of time. And while I love springing things on people, I chose not to do this, we all have our areas of expertise. And I look across this room, I see a whole bunch of experts. I mean, there's experts in almost every area. For as small of a number as we are, it's amazing to me the amount of experts that are in this room. There's experts in transportation, experts in mechanics, experts in HVAC, and I'm going to miss somebody. There's teachers, there's salespeople, there's salespeople on a sales floor, there's salespeople that travel around and sell stuff. There's fabricators, there's welders, there's mechanics, there's, I mean, carpenters. Everything is in this room. And if I were to ask you one by one, I'm going to get this mic and you come up here and I'm going to ask Tammy a couple accounting questions. You know, she wouldn't have to think, she would be a little like, oh, why are you asking me these in front of everyone? But she would have no question about how to answer the question. Like, well, do you, should I do this or that with my, I call her periodically and she's always frustrated with my lack of accounting abilities. But she's, she doesn't have to think about how to answer these questions. When I look, I mean, I could just, I could pick on all sorts of you and say, what about this? Do you know the answer to this question? I thought of, and I almost had him come here, I thought of Todd. You guys remember when Todd came up and we did the, a couple years ago for springtime, we did the farmer and the, the seed thing? I was going to ask him, okay, I just bought a combine and I want to set it up to run soybeans. How fast should the rotor turn? He wouldn't have to think about it. It would just be like, this is the answer. How should I set this? How should I set it? It would, effortless, because he's an expert. It's not hard for him. It's like, well, yeah, I just know all this stuff. Because that's all I just meditate and think on. This is the kind of, this is what, I believe we're encouraged with this gospel because, you know, all of our areas of expertise across this, from one end of this room to the other end of this room, all of our areas of expertise in our vocations will all pass away. When, when we thump, thump, our last thump, we're done. And all of our expertise is done too. It's just over. It's, it's like I can't, I know some people that aren't here anymore that knew some stuff that I wish I knew. And you know what? I could go to their grave and I can ask them. I can knock on their headstone and I can say, hey, how do I do this? That information passed away. The one piece of information, the one area that we have to develop this expertise in that carries from this life into the next life is the gospel. It's it. We can be the best, we can be the best at whatever our thing is and I, believe, I am an advocate of being good at what you do, Okay? I'm not, I'm not saying, well, don't worry about your day job. Just, no, this is part of it. As we learn and get stronger and stronger in this gospel, it will be through those other areas of expertise that we carry this gospel. I'm not an advocate of just like, well, you know, who cares about it? That's not what I'm talking about at all. I am not making it very far through my notes. We've got to speed this train up. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it and it alone is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Do we know the gospel well enough to not be ashamed of it? You see, 
that question came from a place where if we are uncertain of something, we quickly back away from a discussion about it. When you think about this, there's just going to be some like, just some um, mental aerobics here. Think about this. If, if you have a brief, like maybe a shadow of an understanding, like I understand, I know enough to be dangerous about something. Okay, I'll use myself as an example. I have some mechanical abilities, but I'm not a mechanic. I will tear into my own stuff and usually get to a point where I'm in over my head. It's not, sometimes it's pretty quick. Sometimes it's a while. Sometimes I'm into it and it's like, oh, no. And what I found, the further into it I get before I realize I'm in over my head, the harder it is for whoever comes along after to help me out of it. But what I've found is because I have this limited, I will, I will have a discussion with my friends about mechanical things. But when it becomes a discussion about troubleshooting, specific troubleshooting, the, area, the things that I'm not certain of, I quickly backpedal out of. Does that make sense to anybody? So Tom and I can be having a discussion. He knows I drive a diesel pickup. He can call me and say, what do you know about a Ford six liter? And because I know how much I don't know, I would say, mine's been okay. It drinks a lot of fuel, and it's got some electrical problems. That pretty much sums it up, I think. And, but if we were just having a discussion, I would talk a little bit more about it. But if he said, I have a problem with my six liter, will you come help me diagnose it? Hard no, absolutely not. Not because I don't love Tom, but because I do. I'm not going to be a blessing. I'm going to backpedal out of this. I don't know anything about him. I've never seen one. You drive one, Isaac. Well, I know, but that doesn't mean I know anything about him. I'm going to backpedal out of that. So what I'm getting at, does this make sense to anybody? The gospel, if we are uncertain about what makes us right with God, when the question arises of someone's rightness with God, we will quickly backpedal. I don't know, go to church, probably call the preacher maybe, because we're not sure about it. Where We have the opportunity. We've been given the word of God right here. And we've been given the Spirit of God who authored the Word of God, and as the Spirit of God goes and breathes on the Word of God in our hearts, it comes alive. And we begin to become comfortable with it to the point that we can articulate it. So when Tom calls and he's like, I got a guy, he's not sure if he's right with God, can you help? Absolutely. I would love to sit down and talk with him. Not because I've got all the answers, but because I know somebody who does. Something this first century bunch of believers had a solid hold on was the gospel. I think about this gospel, and we've talked about this. Uh, it's been a while, but we've talked about this. Uh, my wife used to run, and I don't know all the track terminology, but she ran the race with the, the baton thing. You got like three or four people and chase each other around and hand them the baton, and that's a four by something. And she was good. She was fast, and she was good. And we've talked a lot about that. Her and I have talked about it, that those races aren't won or lost by the speed of the runners. You know that? You're like, well, yes, they are. You have to have some level of competency. You got to have some speed to you. But where they're won, and most importantly, where they're lost, is in the handoff. You can have the four fastest runners in the world, but if they can't get that baton effectively and efficiently from one runner to the next, they will lose every race. And the church, this is where the church has lost. We have failed in handing that baton off. We have allowed personal pride. We have allowed control. We've allowed power. We've allowed feeling of self-righteousness to enter into that handoff, and we have fumbled it. But the first century church, they understood it. And I believe the time has come back when we're understanding it as a church today. We're understanding what makes us right with God. This first century church, they had a solid hold on what that gospel was. They understood it, and they were carrying it as far as they needed to. Today, though, it seems we're more fluent in what makes our group of Christians different than another group of Christians. Well, well, we believe this and this and this, and they believe this and this and this. We must, be, we must become so comfortable in articulating this gospel that even when pushed, as Peter and John were in Acts, as Paul and his bunch were later, 
that instead of, when we get pushed, instead of backing down, we use being questioned about our faith actually as a point of proclamation for the truth. Do you understand it? I'm gonna take just a second and talk about this. We talked, and I'm, I'm banking on some of you having paid attention two weeks ago. And we just read just a little bit about it in Acts chapter four. These guys, they did a miracle. They healed the lame guy, Peter and John. And then they preach a message. 5,000 people get born again. The religious leaders are frustrated because they had tried to quench this first century church already and it wasn't working. And so they back Peter and John into a corner. And I used this this morning. I was talking to Trey a little bit. They back them, as it were, off the ed- at the edge of a cliff. So they're standing at the edge of a cliff with their feet off the back, which is the point when, as a human, we cave. I was like, I, you know what? I'm, I don't want to fall. <laughs> this is going to end poorly. I, maybe we should talk about this. Let's sit down, let's get a cup of coffee, let's have a discussion, let's find our common ground. And instead of that, what Peter did, and I believe John was with him in this, what Peter did, he doubled down. He's like, hey, I got a captive audience. Yes, I am on the edge, but I have a captive audience. I'm gonna double down on this gospel. And the only way that he was able to do that is because he was very comfortable articulating it. So he used questions. What I'm getting at, church, is So many times today I hear people discuss faith things and someone questions them, have a discussion, it's like, well, was so-and-so, does so-and-so, you 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 think they're they're a Christian or not? Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I don't know. You see a conversation kind of go back and forth and before long, the person who started out knowing what a Christian was and knowing what the gospel was is kind of backing down like, I'm not real sure. I don't, this is kind of taking a turn for, I don't know, I'm not into, that wasn't the attitude in the first century. That was not the attitude in the book of Acts. When questioned, when pushed, back them up against the wall and they'll double down. They might even yell the gospel in case they go over the edge of the cliff, someone will still hear it on the way down. Doctrinal disputes aren't our calling. This is frustrating for many people in the church. It's like, but I want to have doctrinal disputes. That's not your calling. Our job is to carry the gospel. Doctrinal disputes are, it's fine, it's good to know what we believe. It's good to know why we believe what we believe about all sorts of other little things. But the major thing is the gospel. And what has happened in much of Christianity is we've shifted a bunch of these subcategories and we've pushed them up to be majors. It's like, well, they're all kind of majors. It really matters. It's all fine. If we don't know the gospel, it don't matter what you believe about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It don't matter what you believe about healing. It don't matter what you believe about communion. It doesn't matter what you believe about church. If we don't know the gospel, it does not matter. The gospel is paramount. Now, I'm not against any of that. I'm absolutely for us knowing the word of God in all of its fullness. As Paul said in Romans 1.16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God of salvation for everyone who believes. Everything that comes with that word salvation, it's a big word. If you look it up in the Greek and you got time that we don't have this morning, you'll see there's a whole bunch in that. But it is all through the gateway of the gospel. And we have to lock down, not here, This is fine. This is good. I love being here. Not here. Here. Because if you go out and someone says, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? And you say, well, what Isaac says is all your credibility is just shot. Because there's a good chance that whoever you're talking to probably knows me. They're like, oh, we're not listening to him. But if you say, I know the Bible says here this, The Bible says here that it is not my calling to just stand up in front of of us and point out problems. You may think, well, you're doing a good job. It is my calling, it is my desire to articulate and facilitate the solution. The early church was commissioned by Jesus to go ye. Not come ye into all the churches, go ye into all the world. Just as the messengers in the first century and before were commissioned to carry the news from the battle lines to the city, so we are commissioned to carry the good news of the victory to our cities and our villages and all the earth. We talked about in the beginning, these messengers, like, oh, which way is the battle going? It's, It's hard to tell. There's a lot of smoke and there's a lot of yelling and I'm not real sure, but it looks like we're winning. Let's get it right. 
we won. Not because I said so, but because the word of God declares it. We're winning and we won. This gospel that we're talking about isn't good news like, hey, it's supposed to be warm today. That's good news. I'm not going to change anybody's world. It's just warm. Somebody may be compelled to go ski or something. It's warm. It's not going to change their day, but it's not going to change their life. Or our team won in a sports metaphor. This is the best news in all eternity. Do we carry it with that level of excitement? Do we carry it with that level of urgency? A discussion with a fellow believer this last week. He was talking about sharing the gospel. And he had, had a discussion with another person, and it, it kind of divulged into this like, well, I think sharing the gospel is, is just telling people about God and my life. Like, well, that's just your testimony. That's good, but that's not the gospel. It's important that we know, well, well, the gospel, if you just preach the gospel, that can be offensive to people. This is what the other individual, and we had this discussion, and I'm like, the gospel is not offensive to anyone other than self-righteous. But how quickly we think, well, I'll share the gospel through my, and I'm not, I'm not I sounds like I'm really doubling down on this, but I, and I, I am on the importance of the gospel and what the gospel is. Our part of the gospel story is nothing. We were the dead guy on the side of the road. If I'm laying dead along the road and Todd's driving down the road, he sees me laying there dead and he gets out of the truck, he's like, he's dead, but he happens to have oxygen, he's got a defibrillator, he's got all the things that he needs and he sparks me back to life. In that telling of that story, what part do I play? I did my part. I laid there. And then what would you do? I didn't do anything. I was dead. The story is all about Todd at that point. Does this make sense? The, our, our interaction with the gospel is we were dead. Then what would you do? Nothing. I was dead. The gospel came along and Jesus saved me, made me alive again. The gospel's all about Jesus. It is not about us. It's not about, well, and then I just felt this and I felt that and I was supposed to do that and I felt like I should go to church and I should do this. Going to church is fine. That's not gonna save you anymore. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in the garage makes you a car. And it's important that we note that. This is not what it's all about. This is great. I love this. I love coming together. This is awesome. But all we're doing here, and this may be a little too offensive or aggressive or whatever, all we're doing here is we're loading our guns. We're racking one into the chamber. We're figuring out, do we have a clip? Are we loaded? Are we ready to go? Imagine you're a military force, and you're going into the most dangerous place in all the world. Everybody there wants to kill you. And you've got all the costume you got the backpacks and all the stuff in it and the repelling harness and you've got all sorts of everything and you're like, so what am I gonna shoot? Like, well, you don't have any weapons, but you'll be fine because you got all the other equipment. I'm like, no, 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 I want the weapons. I wanna know how to defend myself. That may sound aggressive, that may sound, but it's important. That's what we're doing. What we're doing right here is we're, we are equipping the saints, we're being equipped as fellow saints to do the work of the ministry. We will carry this gospel to the world and we will become so comfortable with it. Another metaphor that I just think about is in the different branches of the military, and I know it depends on what all the different trainings are, but they practice putting their weapon together and taking it apart. And they're timed on it. And then they practice putting it together and taking it apart with a blindfold on then they practiced taking it apart and putting it together behind their back. And then they practiced taking it apart and putting it together when all the pieces are in a box of sand. This is not an exaggeration. It's like, find all the parts, put it together, clock starts now, go. And they're timed on, and then they have to shoot it. They gotta make sure the thing fires when they're done. This is the kind of training that I'm talking about as a church. We need to engage in this kind of training so that no matter where we are, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we can, behind our back, in the sand, whatever circumstances we're in in this life, we can assemble this, we can articulate the gospel, and it's ready to go. 
to the degree that it communicates salvation. Because telling somebody that God is a good God is not the gospel. God is a good God. Can I get an amen? Absolutely a good God, but that's not the gospel. It's because of his goodness that the gospel came, but we have to be able to articulate it. Saying that, well, I'm in the United States military. Great, do you have a weapon? No. Well, you're worthless. I'm not, don't anyone pick up offense. I'm a little wound up. But as a bunch of believers, it is important that we articulate, yes, I am locked and loaded. God is a good God. Because of his goodness, he sent Jesus to die on my behalf so that I could become the righteous of God created in him. So that I'm a child of God. I've been born again. I was bought with a price. I am not my own. It is therefore no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. To the glory of God the Father. Our part in this story is that we were blind. Jesus gave us sight. We were deaf. Jesus touched our ears and opened them. We were dead. Jesus came and made us alive. In the story of the blind, the deaf, and the dead, we don't factor in at all. All the glory and all the story is telling Jesus. All the glory and all of our life stories is about Jesus. Jesus perfectly detailed and described salvation as being born again in John 3. And I'm not going to, I'm running low on time. Humanity is on a crash course with all things death, separation and every form of evil. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us and he died as us. Jesus died, did all things death in our place so that we could stand in his place as the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Now, from the point of believing to all eternity, we have a guarantee of the Holy Spirit that we are right with God. We are free to live. And you know, there's a certain, this, is, this may strike you as odd, we are free to live and we are clear to die without fear. Hallelujah. All fear, death is the ultimate fear of all humanity. All of our fears as humans are rooted in a fear of death. Some fear that when we die, it's all over and there's nothing. Others fear that when we die, it's just the beginning and they have no way of knowing which side of heaven they will come down on. But you know what? We carry the solution. The certainty that this life is only the beginning. In the certainty that through Jesus, we absolutely know what side we will come down on in eternity. Acts 16, verse 30 through 31 says, he brought them out. This is the story of the Philippian jailer. We articulate this story a lot. The jailer comes out. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's available to you and your entire household. It's important that we arm ourselves with the reality that is found in Scripture. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 reads that if you confess your mouth, with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. John 3 talks about, Jesus articulates, whoever believes on the name of the Lord, the name of the Son of God shall not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. The gospel is not a list of do's and don'ts. There is nothing good news about telling someone to keep an unkeepable list in order to be part of the kingdom of God. And yet, how many today would say that that's part of the gospel? It's like, I uh, uh, maybe keep the Ten Commandments. It is not good news. If you think it is, read through them again. Read through all 600 and some commandments and then walk back to me and tell me that's good news. Because there's at least three, 400 of them that we're not keeping. The purpose of the unkeepable list is to make us all aware of our need for a savior. We are to be workmen rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, it is possible, and I'm flying through this last stuff, but I want to I get through this. It's possible to be a co-heir with Christ and not be a co-laborer. This is possible. And you might think, whoa, whoa, where are you going with that? It is not labor that makes us an heir by definition. Nick did a teaching on this a while ago and he talked about the prodigal son never ceased to be an heir. He was an heir from birth till death. That's how it works to be an heir. You do not inherit, which is 
the active form of being an heir, you don't inherit anything by your doing. It's, it's because of who you is. That's why you get inheritance. Rather, it's our relationship as an heir that motivates us to be a co-laborer. Does this make sense? It's like, I, I'm not preaching that we go out like, everybody, you need to go lead 10 people to Jesus this week or I'll be upset. Not what I'm saying at all. Our commission as laborers, co-laborers in this gospel is because we're an heir. For instance, and I know I do metaphors a lot, but I, gotta, I, I wanna get this one out and then I promise there's only a, uh, two more metaphors. <laughs> so if, if you were set to inherit, your parents had built an empire, huge, massive business, and you were set to inherit that business, and you started having kids, and then they were going to be set to inherit that business, as a responsible member of the family, would you not seek to contribute to that? How can we more effectively manage this? Maybe we could cut some losses. Maybe as a, because as a kid of the business, you may see, you know what? Everyone that's on third shift isn't working. Like, they're just there because no one's watching. So they're just there in the break room. They're drinking our pop and eating our cookies, and they're not doing anything. So maybe I'll bring a level of intentionality to that so that we can cut some losses there. Because this is my business, too. This is my family business. I care about this. Does this make sense? As an heir, you care about the business. It's not like, oh, I hope if I save enough money on this third shift cleanup, maybe I'll be a son again. No, it's because you are a son that you care. It's because you are a daughter that you care, that you're invested in this. Church, are we invested in this gospel message? Not as a place to go on Sunday morning. We're just gonna come, we're gonna do the thing, and it's like they got some good coffee, and sometimes there's good cookies, and sometimes there's not as good of cookies, so, but we'll come, and, you know, and sometimes there's, there's, like, sometimes there's a lot of really good stuff at the other end of the tables. This is a side note, but... Uh, this, that's not, this isn't a box to check. This isn't a thing. It's like, well, we did the thing on Sunday. We checked the box on Sunday so that maybe if we died tomorrow in a car accident, someone would say, well, you know, they did go to church. Someone saying after you leave this life, well, they went to church, has nothing to do with if you go to be with Jesus. Has nothing to do with it. It is all about knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. We, the degree that we are comfortable with the gospel will be the degree that we are unashamed of the gospel. We will engage in gospel discussions the more comfortable we are. And what I'm talking about, you may think, he's pretty forceful. I don't think I'm called to that. Probably not. Because this kind of conversation doesn't ever go over very well the way I'm doing it right now in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's about knowing. That's why I was talking about each of us have people who we have no inhibitions with. That's the way the gospel goes forth organically. It's not, it's not let's, let's make a ball bat and we'll take Bible verses to it and beat people with it. That's not it. It's about being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and being, having the courage to say, you know, you can know that you're right with God. It's scary to die until you know that you're right with God. It can be scary to live until you know that you're right with God. And it's in those relationships, and you're the only one that knows who they are. You're the only one. I, can't, I can say, well, you should share the gospel with your coworkers. Maybe. Maybe that's who you're called to. Well, you should share the gospel with your siblings. Maybe. Maybe that's who you're called to. The Holy Spirit will lead you. But for the Holy Spirit to lead us, we have to know the gospel. Articulate this thing. I had, uh, as we familiarize ourselves with the realities that make up the good news of salvation to all who believe, we gain boldness regarding this good news. This last little story. Has everybody got time for it? It's a good story. Can I share one story? So I think it will help you let me see what I'm getting at. So I have a, I have a good friend. Uh, he's not here. I was hoping he was going to be here this morning. But uh, there is another member of this group that is here today. And years ago, we used to do a lot of ridiculousness. And um, there's a group of us went skiing. 
we went snow skiing up in Michigan. We had some friends that had a cottage, so we went to their cottage, and, and then we went snow skiing. And there was one member, Kirk is who I'm talking about. If you know Kirk Rivenaugh, he was the one I'm talking about. We, he, was, he would get kind of these ideas like, well, this is going to be fun. Let's jump things on skis. Or like he just kind of goes through these things. It was like, this will be really fun. I want to do this. So he had never really skied like a wild man before, but he borrowed someone's skis, and he came skiing with us, and we all went skiing. Borrowing skis is very dangerous for whoever you borrowed them from. <laughs> and so he comes, and we're, we skied, and we skied. We had a good time, and we were all kind of like jumping some stuff because we didn't have a lot to live for then, so we thought, this is a great way to go. So we were skiing, jumping, and it was a good time. We were having a lot of fun. Well, <clears throat> we thought, we're going to go through this last, we're going to go one more time, which eventually in our lives we learned that saying one more time isn't a great plan. We're like, we're going to do one more run down this backside where all of the, what do you call it, the terrain stuff was. So we all kind of got off the lift at different times. There was a group, how many was there, Todd? Probably eight of us. Eight or ten of us, maybe. So needless to say, we weren't all together. It was like groups kind of getting off the lift, and we got there, and we're kind of gathering at the top. And uh, everybody was pretty much there. Somebody goes by, and they're like hauling the mail, flying down the ski slope, and somebody, and I don't remember who it was, made the comment like, look at that idiot. And it goes over and straight down for the biggest jump in the thing and launches. And in the midair, another friend was like, I think that's our idiot. <laughs> and so we take off skiing down there. We're like, oh my goodness. We get down there and it was a literal, you hear the phrase yard sale. It was a yard sale. There was poles that were bent like pretzels and skis were everywhere. And he was just laying there. We were, I mean, he was way high in the air. We didn't see the landing because it was on the back side of the thing, but it was, had to have been hard. Well, he kind of comes to, and you know, my mom's a doctor, so I'm the medical expert in our group. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what do we, we need to figure out if he's okay, because he didn't look okay, and he wasn't really talking right. So I start, it's like, well, somebody, we'll start asking him questions, like, what's your name? And if you know Kirk at all, you know he can be a little obstinate. He's like, I know my name. Like, well, what is your name? Like, uh, who's the president? I know who the president is. Well, what day is it? I know what day it is. And it's like, he's not answering these questions. I wonder if he's okay. Maybe he has a concussion. I don't know. He did have a concussion. But then somebody shouted out, what's the firing order of a 350 Chevy? And if you know Kirk, he is a, he's a detail-oriented mechanic of mechanics. He instantly fires off that firing order. Never missed a beat. And then Todd, his brother, he's like, he'll be fine. <laughs> if he knows that, he'll be fine. May we be so confident and familiar with the gospel that even if we lose track of things like our own name, like our birth date, that we default to the most important truth in all existence with boldness. I thought of that story this week I spent some time with him uh, earlier this week, and I thought about this, and I'm like, that is exactly what I'm trying to communicate, that we can become so familiar with something that even if all the other details in our life become a little foggy, our default setting is the gospel. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That is how I know I'm right with God. It is by grace, unmerited, unearned favor, not of works, Thank you, Jesus. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So I can't boast, and you can't boast, and can't nobody else boast. If we're right with God, it's because of Jesus. Unmerited, things I did not earn, things I did not deserve. Tommy, you want to come up and play some guitar? I'm going to wind this down. Just give me a minute. It's important that we become so familiar with that, with what saved us. With what saved us that when backed in a corner by religious elites, we default to the gospel. We double down on Jesus Christ. We don't double down on us. We don't double down on our knowledge of this or that or the other thing. We double down on Jesus. Just as Peter said, it's not me so that we can say with Paul in Romans, for I am not ashamed. I am ready to go. It says in verse 15 of Romans chapter one, so as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel. As much as in me, as much as it depends on me, whatever, I, I will be as ready as I can be to preach the gospel. And you think, well, that's fine, preacher, but what about me? 
This isn't a thing for just preachers. This is a thing for all of us. That word preach is to proclaim. It is on all of us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That if we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 16 talks about, if we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. I believe that this church is positioned uh, individually, not just this body. If you look at this body, you may say, what do you guys all have in common? Just Jesus. It's just, we just have Jesus in common. But I think the individuals in this church body are uniquely positioned to carry this gospel with certainty. Not wishy-washy, I'm not real sure, but that the more someone pushes on you, may you default more to the gospel. It's Jesus, it's not me. It's Jesus crucified. It's in his name that we must be saved. It's in his name that we pray for people. It's in his name that we see miracles happen. It's in his name. All of it is Jesus. So that accusations may be brought against you. They may be brought against you, but you, your default setting, my default setting is Jesus. May no one question your rightness with God that causes a stir in your heart, in my heart. Become certain that it's not you. Because as long as somebody can throw something at you, it's like, well, you say you're a Christian, but you. And our answer, anybody ever felt that? Maybe, maybe nobody said that to you. Maybe you felt it. I say I'm a Christian, but look at what I just thought. Look at what I just said. Look at what I just did. Look at what I just looked at. Look at what I just, how I just treated somebody. And in those moments, whether it's someone else's voice or your own, may you declare, it is not me. It is Jesus. It is Christ in me that makes me right with God. It's not my ability to say, I am no longer depressed. That makes you right with God or less depressed. It is in Jesus' name that you call that you will be saved. As long as you're calling on your own name, you're going to hit the dial tone. It does not say, anyone who calls on the name of themselves shall be delivered. Ain't gonna happen. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. This might, this is a little intense, a little heavy maybe feeling this morning, but I, I just, I'm, I mean this message to each of us, myself included, as an exhortation, as an encouragement. Because I look across this room, I'm like, you guys have it. You got it. You got the word of God, you've got the spirit of God, and you got all the connections you need. You don't need to meet somebody else. Like, oh Lord, maybe can I meet somebody that doesn't know you? You already know somebody. We already know somebody. We're already positioned. You don't have to, like, oh Lord, please position me to share the gospel. His answer, done. You're positioned to share the gospel right now. If you would stand with me this morning, I'd like to dismiss us with a declaration and then I'm gonna pray for us. It is because of this great gospel that we stand today as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are able to declare the promises of God which are yes and amen in the name of Jesus Christ. We declare that we are blessed and highly favored, acutely aware of this great gift of salvation which has made us co-heirs with Christ. We declare boldness to carry this good news to all the world. We declare freedom over this body because of this salvation that we are free to live, free to make decisions with confidence, to anticipate good. We know this world isn't fixed yet, and so hardship, difficulty, and opposition are to be expected, but they will not carry the day. We declare with the psalmist that we believe that we will see the goodness of God in this land that we are living in. For as John wrote later in his life, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Let this reality be our bedrock today that if Christ be for us, who can effectively stand against us? Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this gospel. I thank you that it is by grace and unmerited favor, unearned favor, through faith, that we are made right with you. Lord, I just pray uh, blessing over this body, over each person, each family, each child, each son and daughter, each marriage that is in this room those that are listening online, Lord, I just pray a blessing over this body. Thank you, Lord, that you tend to your word, that this word will not go forth and come back void, but just like when you send rain from heaven, 
It doesn't return to the sky without doing the job that you have sent it for. So you are with your word. It will go forth and it will succeed in the task for which you have sent it. Lord, I pray a blessing over this body as we go from this place, as we go out into the world. Thank you that we are being equipped daily to do the work of the ministry. I pray that we would continue to encourage each other, that we would receive encouragement as a form of equipping. We would familiarize ourselves with this gospel more and more as the day is drawing near. You say, what day, what day? Just the end of our life, whenever that is. Maybe you'll come back, Lord. Maybe we'll leave this life. But as that day, whichever one it is, draws nearer, may we articulate, may we be more and more comfortable with this gospel so that it becomes our default. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, for your word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys have a wonderful week.